A bombshell forces a top Trump aide to resign and also becomes the latest controversy for Chief of Staff John Kelly. And does the budget deal signal the end of the Republican Party as we know it today? This is the State of America Tonight. A key presidential advisor has resigned following accusations of domestic abuse. He came and grabbed me by the shoulders here and pulled me out of the shower in a rage. The chief of staff was given a heads up about this in the fall. The question is, how much exactly did he know about uh, these allegations levied against Rob Porter? If, if John Kelly's covering this up, he needs to be held accountable. I have full faith and confidence in this chief of staff. I'm Kirsten Powers, live in New York. This is State of America Tonight. We're waiting on a White House press briefing. Raj Shah, the deputy press secretary, will take the podium for the first time today. He's expected to take questions on the budget and the controversy over a key aide's resignation. All this as the Dow has another volatile day. You see the big board there. We'll bring you that White House press briefing as soon as it starts. Now let's get back to that resignation at the White House. Rob Porter, who was President Trump's staff secretary, could leave the White House as early as today amid allegations he abused his ex-wives. Porter blasted the claims as outrageous and false, even as disturbing photos emerge and both women speak out. He came and grabbed me by the shoulders here um, and, and pulled me out of the shower in a rage. Porter, who worked closely with Chief of Staff John Kelly, managed the information flow to President Trump. But CNN has learned the president only found out about the accusations this week. Vice Vice President Mike Pence made a similar claim. I learned as I awoke this morning of those developments. And so we'll we'll comment on any issues affecting White House staff when we get back to Washington. And while Trump and Pence were unaware of the allegations, sources tell CNN that Kelly knew last year. Kelly initially praised Porter as a man of integrity, but reversed course last night, expressing shock at what he called, quote, new allegations. The controversy has sparked swift reaction on Capitol Hill, where some Republicans voiced support for Kelly. I don't see the confidence in General Kelly uh, being diminished at all within the West Wing. Sometimes uh, good people make uh, make bad decisions. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It means they're human. I've got full about- confidence in, in General Kelly. But one Democrat says it may be time for Kelly to go. If John Kelly's covering this up, he needs to be held accountable. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. What would that mean, holding him accountable? Well, I mean, uh, holding him accountable means that he has to justify what he did, why he did it, and he better have a really good reason. Otherwise, he's gone too. And another Democrat who held Porter's job in the Clinton administration wants Congress to investigate. Staff secretary sees the country's greatest secrets. There is a stack of red envelopes, uh, folders, excuse me, on that desk every day, and the staff secretary brings them to the president. The staff secretary sees literally everything the president sees. And to have someone in that job for 14 months with no national security clearance is outrageous. And John Kelly owns that. Let's go right to the White House and CNN's Caitlin Collins. Caitlin, do we know exactly what the uh, FBI told the White House and when? 
So that's still unclear right now, Kirsten, but we are learning that senior administration officials were aware of the details of these allegations made against Rob Porter as early as last fall. And we've also learned that the chief of staff, John Kelly, who took over in July, has also been aware of the allegations against Porter for some time now, for months now. But we aren't clear on what exactly it was that Kelly knew, if he was aware of the specifics here. And now, since the fallout over these allegations has happened, we're hearing from multiple multiple people in the West Wing that they felt that they were misled by what Porter said when he realized that these accusations were going to become public. But that's certainly been the focus here is how the White House has dealt with this crisis, how they've completely mishandled it and who knew what and when. Because around that time in the fall that senior administration officials were learning about the details of these allegations, not only did Porter continue to work in the West Wing, but his stock here began to rise. So that's the question now that's focusing on who who thought that was a good idea, who okayed that with him staying around in the West Wing, not only working near the president, but handling, like you said, the flow of all that information that goes through the Oval Office. Quite not a job that's a household name, something recognizable, but a very critical job in a West Wing, especially one as chaotic as this one. Well, and to that point, the FBI refused to give Porter a security clearance. And so I guess the question is, do we know who in the administration knew that? That is what is uh, unclear at this point. Many administration officials are denying knowing about this. But Porter was operating off of an interim security clearance, which means he did not have the full permanent security clearance that someone who has a job, especially of the nature of the one that he did have. And that's why they do these background checks on people who work in the West Wing and handle Mm -hmm. such sensitive information is because they don't want them to be prone or susceptible to blackmail in these these kind of situations. That's why the FBI goes through all of this. So it's certainly raising so many questions about who knew what and when. And we're really seeing the focus shift from Porter himself, who the White House, we're told it could leave as early as today, even though they initially said he was going to stay on for some time to ensure a smooth transition. But now we're looking to see who who knew what about these allegations and when. Okay, thank you, Caitlin. It's an incredible story. Thanks for the update. And Porter's departure follows a scramble to protect him by White House officials, some of whom initially gave a strong defense despite knowing about the allegations. Joining me now is Zerlina Maxwell, the director of progressive programming at SiriusXM. She also served as the director of progressive media for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Zerlina, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. I kind of look at this and I feel like, you know, we just had this major cultural shift with the Mm -hmm. Me Too movement. And it seems like the White House just missed the whole thing. Well, that's not a surprise to me, because I think that this Me Too movement and cultural shift, the catalyst for that is actually the election of Donald Trump in many Mm -hmm. ways, because I I look at this going back to the Access Hollywood tape. You heard the president Mm -hmm. of the United States on tape saying he can do anything he wants to a woman. And I think that beyond the, the graphic language he used to describe it, the sentiment he is describing is at the heart of this movement. It's all about women's autonomy and our ability to tell our truth talk about what we've experienced at the hands of abusive men and to have people actually take our stories seriously. That's the cultural shift that's happening in this moment. Women are finally being believed. Men are finally being believed when we come forward with our truths. And I think that the White House missing the point is not a surprise to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think that to a certain extent, this is 
this is the way it's always been, right? If you are a man who's powerful or you're working for a powerful man and you do something, you're, a, you know, you, you rape a woman or you're abusive to her, uh, the cover up, they sort of, you know, come around and protect him. And so it's, it's almost like they're sort of trapped in another era while the rest of the country is, is moving along, Right. Absolutely. And I think that certainly uh, the chief of staff, John Kelly, has a lot of explaining to do. I also think that Hope Hicks, regardless of whether or not she is dating this gentleman, um, should also explain herself because we're talking about two separate scandals in one. One, previously your guest was talking about the security clearance issue. That's a very serious part of this story. But beyond that, I think that in a moment when we're having this conversation in the Me Too era where we're believing women and their stories, I think it's completely ridiculous that we have uh, people in the leader. Uh, you know, the fish rots from the head, as they say, mm-hmm. uh, who don't understand this issue. They don't believe women. The official White House position is that everybody that has accused President Trump of misconduct and harassment is lying. And so mm-hmm. I think the White House certainly needs to catch up with the times and they need to shift like the rest of the country is shifting to a place where we believe women. We take their stories seriously and we would never hire someone and put them in such close proximity right. to the president who has this in their background. Well, yeah, and so some people had said initially that this was some sort of smear campaign on a, a, a man who's rising in the Trump administration. But, of course, these are th- three people and, you know, two ex-wives. And now we know a girlfriend who had a conversation in 2016 with the two ex-wives saying, how do I get out of this relationship and how did you recover from this? Now, of course, there was no Trump White House then. So, you know, where's the conspiracy? There is no conspiracy. I think that it's no surprise that you have a series of different women. The truth is that the men who uh, behave in this manner, they're serial offenders. That's true for domestic violence and also sexual assault. It's a serial pathology. And it's not a surprise as well that he's a charming, successful person. Many Mm -hmm. abusers are charming, successful men. That's how they get away with it. That's part of the pathology. We have to start to understand that. They're going to be charismatic in public and monstrous in private. That's how they continue to abuse women. Yep. That's such an important point. If he acted this way at work, he wouldn't have a job. So um, thank you so much for that. It was a fascinating conversation. Thank Uh, you. And coming up. I'm going to cut spending. We're going to cut spending big league. He was just a candidate then promising to rein in government spending. But that pledge is hard to square with spending proposals now on the table. The panel weighs in next. Now to the budget battle. Once the fiscal hawks, Republicans under President Trump are now willing to spend freely. And they'll be doing just that if Congress passes a two-year spending bill later today. The panel is here to discuss Emily Bazelon, co-host of Slate's Political Gab Fest and staff writer for The New York Times Magazine, Matt Lewis, CNN political commentator and senior columnist at The Daily Beast, and KABC talk radio host John Phillips, a CNN political commentator and Donald Trump supporter. So thank you, everybody, for being here. Matt, I want to jump right in with you. Um, I, I think I remember the Tea Party was sort of a reaction to overspending by Republicans. So what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are some people being consistent here. The Freedom Caucus uh, conservatives are sticking to their guns and, and they're not going to vote for this. But it's rank hypocrisy from people like Paul Ryan, who kept saying we need to tackle this debt or it's going to tackle us. And, of course, the difference is that now Republicans are in power and they want to keep the government open. 
uh, and they want to basically get a, a two-year, sort of get this out of the way so they don't have to keep having these continuing resolutions. There are some good things being funded here. If you're a Republican, uh, you know, defense is obviously important. Republicans talk a lot about national defense. This is good for them. Um, and, you know, this thing does fund things like uh, hurricane relief that needs to be funded, uh, you know, medical centers. So there's some good stuff there. But again, it, it is certainly hypocritical for Republicans who worried so much uh, about the deficit during the Obama years. Well, Emily, I don't think it's even about the funding of things, right? It's the, it's the fact that they, we just did this massive tax cut where, you know, which wasn't paid for. And so after listening to Republicans for eight years talk about how terrible it is to spend money that we don't have and then to turn around and do this, I, I mean, what do you make of it? Well, it'll be interesting to see if there are any political consequences. Surely, uh, you know, from the point of view of the veterans of the Obama administration who wanted more government spending at a time of uncertainty after the financial crisis and were eager to push the economy forward with um, more spending from the government. This must be very frustrating. The Obama um, administration did not get the spending it wanted. Now the economy is doing better. There are some fears that it could indeed overheat, and yet we are increasing our deficit. Right. Um, I mean, John, you're obviously a supporter of the president. Um, You're a conservative. How do you feel about this? Well, what's the old saying? Where you stand depends on where you sit. Uh, There are a few uh, legitimate uh, deficit hawks in Washington. Tom Coburn from Oklahoma, Tom McClintock from California. I guess you have to be named Tom to be a deficit hawk. But the reality (laughs) is, is that most of them, the, the debate is, They all want to spend money. They just have different priorities as to where they want to spend the money. If you go back to the George W. Bush years, they spent a ton on education. They spent a ton on Medicare Part D. You look at Obama, they went nut spending. Uh, The same thing is true, by the way, with federalism, where you have, uh, you know, the party in charge of Washington suddenly likes federal power. The party out of power likes states' rights. I mean, you listen to people like Jerry Brown. He sounds like John C. Calhoun talking about nullification of marijuana and immigration laws. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of hypocrisy on both sides, but it's not new. And we're going to bring in Jamal Simmons, who is a Democratic strategist and host of the Beat Podca- DC podcast. And Jamal, we're just talking about well, everyone's bringing up the hypocrisy word. It's hardly breaking news in D.C. when people act hypocritically. But this is pretty startling with the Republicans when you, we watched them attacking Barack Obama for eight years about debt and the deficit and how terrible it was. And now look at what they're doing. Now, I mean, what do you make of it? Well, it's pretty, I I would like to use the word two-faced. The idea (laughs) that these folks who uh, just a few weeks ago passed a $1.5 trillion budget deal, um, Mm -hmm. and then now you've got some of the Freedom Caucus members who are complaining about spending a a few billion dollars on infrastructure. Democrats have never really been against spending. The thing for Democrats is where we we target the spending, and that's uh, that's the issue. If we could... Strengthen the bones, as one candidate likes to say. Let's strengthen the bones of the American economy. Let's build out the roads. Let's fix the infrastructure. Let's get Wi-Fi into all the schools. Let's do those things. But you've got Republicans who are willing to give money to rich people in tax cuts, but not willing to spend money on the infrastructure of the country. Okay, thank you, everybody. Uh, We'll see you after the break. Uh, Coming up, John Kelly was supposed to calm some of the turbulence in the West Wing. Now is he taking taking on the same prickly politics of his boss?
I was a kid growing up, a lot of things were sacred in our country. Women were sacred, looked upon with great honor. That's obviously not the case anymore, as we see from recent cases. That was John Kelly back in October. There are a lot of questions today for the White House about how it looks for men in power to ignore women who make accusations of abuse. Our panel is back today to talk about the future of John Kelly. Um, Jamal, just the thing that struck me right away about this is we've just had this massive cultural moment, the Me Too moment. It will literally be in history books. And the White House just seems to have missed the whole thing. They've missed the whole thing. And what's particularly remarkable about uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly is that just a few days ago, we heard him saying that people who didn't sign up for DACA were lazy and wouldn't get off their asses. So he won't make excuses for those people who may have some concern about signing up for the, with the immigration authorities. But when it comes to, to getting rid of someone or dealing with someone in their office who has been accused not once but twice by his ex-wives, of abusing them, they make excuses for that person. What it's telling us, I think, is that John Kelly is not the moderating influence on Donald Trump. We may have thought he was, but John Kelly perhaps is exactly like his his boss. Some people would say he's just as bigoted, he's just as prejudiced as the president of the United States. Yeah, and, you know, Emily Axios was reporting that Porter's former colleagues are saying they can't reconcile the Rob Porter. They know he's a consummate gentleman with the person they're reading about. Um, But that's, again, another one of the lessons of the Me Too movement. It's not just that you believe women, give you know, them the benefit of the doubt and listen to their accusations. It's also that you don't know what's going on. You don't know what somebody's doing behind closed doors. There's not uh, Abusers don't look or act a certain way, right? That's right. And this is sort of a classic case where someone's professional persona seems to be wildly different from their private persona. It can appear hard to reconcile those two things, but that is different from denying that these private incidents took place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Matt, it seems it seems like and you can disagree with this if you don't think it's true that the White House was more than happy to let him stay as long as they could weather the PR storm that this CNN was reporting this last night that they thought they could weather the storm. And then when the picture came out of the, the, the ex-wife with the bruise, uh, they realized that they couldn't. I mean, should they shouldn't they just been more concerned about the fact of these accusations, not just that they got caught and it was bad PR for them? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. They were trying to weather the storm. I think John Kelly was actually encouraging Porter to, you know, batten down the hatches and stay put until yeah. that photo came out. Um, and it obviously says a whole lot of things about them, about John Kelly, and including just from a political standpoint, being tone deaf. Uh, as, as you mentioned, coming, this, this would have been horrible under any circumstance but coming in the wake of the Me Too moment, um, and even after the photo surfaced, even after it became very clear that these are very credible charges coming from not one but two ex-wives, even then when John Kelly puts out a statement, he still basically says, yeah, but he was a great guy. Mm-hmm. It's really unbelievable. It, it's political malpractice uh, for John Kelly, never mind all the other bad things about this story. John, what do you think? 
Well, I think before we get too hard on John Kelly, we should note we don't know exactly what he knew. We don't know exactly what the FBI told him. And since Steve Bannon is out of the White House, there's no one there to leak those details to us. But uh, before we, we, we really attack him too much, I would note that the Washington Post is allegedly working on the story with what, between 20 and 30 members of Congress who have had settlements, who have had payouts. But that's not what we're talking and, about. We're talking about John no, Kelly. No, I know. I mean, and, and the other but, thing is we do actually know, I mean, he, he made comments after after there was reporting that, the, you know, that the time we knew it was two ex-wives, we now know there's a third girlfriend who had spoken to the ex-wives. So, you know, he did, I mean, by all accounts, he did know. I mean, I, I don't know how you're saying that he didn't. Well, I mean, we don't know specifically what he knew, but back to the Congress, I mean, leadership theoretically knows about what exactly went down there. What is Congress and you have a lot of these guys anything? that still haven't been exposed. But what does that have because to do you with have, anything? Because you have problems. We're talking, but we're talking about something in the White House that happened and whether John Kelly, who is supposed to be this moderating force, is, you know, the way he's responded to this is appropriate. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. Right. But again, we don't know specifically what he knew. Was it that this guy had problems with his past relationships? Was it uh, specifically uh, violent acts such as the photos that we saw? I mean, do you know what it is? I don't know what 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 he was told by the FBI. I know what was published in the newspaper and that the whole world saw. So I'm assuming he saw that. Jamal, I mean, also by all the reports are that he, you know, the FBI had informed people at the White House about this. And And did anybody ever wonder why this guy didn't have an FBI um, clearance? I mean, he didn't have a security clearance. This is a person who's literally, I mean, you worked, you know, in in the White House. Like, how normal is this to have somebody who's seeing this kind of information not have a security clearance? Yeah, Kirsten, remember, John Podesta was staff secretary before he became Bill Clinton's chief of staff. This is not a junior level position. It's a very senior level position. The person who sits next to the president looks at all the paper flow. Um, But here's the thing. It's not just... Rob Porter. It's also Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner doesn't have a permanent security clearance. The question now is, how many other people are there who are absorbing national security data and and, and that close to the president who can't qualify for the basic security clearance that it takes to be able to do those jobs? And if we go back, not just John Kelly, but let's also think about the president who tolerated Sebastian Gorka. He tolerated Michael Flynn. There's a whole list of people in this White House that we all have to be concerned about. Yeah. And and now, Emily, I want to get back to this idea Jamal sort of alluded to this about this conventional wisdom on John Kelly, that he's been a moderating uh, force in the the White House. Let's listen to some of the things that he said. We know he said dreamers are too lazy to sign up for DACA. He attacked attacked Congresswoman uh, Federica Wilson from the White House podium as an empty barrel, even though she's a hero in her community who works with African-American men, said Robert E. Lee was honorable, attributed the Civil War to lack of compromise. And then now we have this with Rob Porter. I mean, what do you make of him? I think that before Kelly took this position, people didn't know very much about him because he was a military man, not someone from the familiar political landscape. And there were assumptions about him as a moderating influence that had to do with perceptions of General Mattis, perhaps, or General McMaster. But as he is emerging as his own public personality, as you're saying, he's making hardline comments. And I would like to understand how he could call Rob Porter a man of honor and integrity based on the reports we're hearing that, as you said, he did know about this abuse. Maybe he didn't Mm -hmm. see the photo, but that he knew of the abuse. And why does it take an actual photograph of a woman with a black eye for the White House to act? Right. And so this, I guess this is going to be our last question. But Matt, quickly, do you think his job's in jeopardy? And do you think it should be in jeopardy? 
Uh, it's not in jeopardy. This isn't the kind of thing that Donald Trump w- would fire you over. Um, but look, I, I think that there were two things. Uh, one, we hope that he would bring order and be discipl- disciplined. And I think he sort of did that. It's a tough job. But the other thing that we hoped is that John Kelly would be an adult and would bring uh, you know, a little bit of moral leadership to a president who lacks it. And I think there he's failed miserably. Right. All right. That's the last word. Thank you, everybody, for a great conversation. This is day 385 of President Trump's administration. That's the State of America tonight. Check out our podcast. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. And we'll see you back here tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.